you're gonna you're in for a treat today. Steve Freeman is a wonderful friend, and he is him and Lynn Furrow are on our apostolic advisory team, and that help us uh, in leadership. and And Steve's just a wonderful friend. And would you guys just give Steve a warm welcome from New Covenant? We love this guy. We bless him in Jesus' name, and he's gonna share in the Word. And you're gonna be blessed. Amen. Where to start? Um, y- yeah, that would be cool. This is kind of a, a new addition, isn't it? Or is it just for uh, commu- Okay. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Eric. I'll try not to. Yeah, I'll try not to feedback here. So if I do, it'll just uh, be a part of my heavy metal roots. <laughs> So you're probably wondering, what brought Steve to Newcastle today? Well, I was at the Farmer's Pike Festival yesterday. Woo! Come on, man. (laughs) There's a lot of people out there. So we were, uh, um, I played in a jazz band, and there's, uh, if you've been out there, they have two gazebos. And so they had a country band in one gazebo and then the jazz band in the other gazebo, and then we would like 45 minutes on and 45 minutes off. So it was like this almost battle of the bands, kind (laughs) of, they won. (laughs) According to the crowd, they won. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good time. You know, I um, realized that uh, this is a a major date in my life because 20 years ago this weekend was when I stepped out of the marketplace and went into full-time ministry. And uh, it's, you know, I, as I was sitting here, I was starting to, you know, you know the, when you get my age, you have a tendency to look back more than you look forward. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm like thinking I got plenty of vision for the future. I don't need any more of that. But it is, a, it's amazing to look back and see where the Lord has taken us. You know, and for me in the last 20 years, you know, it was 20 years ago, that, uh, that I actually got connected with Eric and Tom through a pastor's gathering up in, uh, up in Anderson. So it's like, wow, it's, yeah. For those of you that are young parents, and you're like thinking, man, will our kids ever grow up? It's an eternity, granted. But my kids are all growing up now, and that's a shock. <laughs> it's like we, uh, we moved my daughter out last year. I think, I mean, last time I was here, I told you that she's now out in L.A. It has taken my wife a year to actually get to where um, she, um, she, she's happy again. It's, you know, I think the realization that the last kid left the house and the only one left was me. <laughs> I, I I know, the only child left, and I am. She would tell you. Um, I, yes. Um, I, have, uh, I have obsessions, if you, if you really must know. Uh, one of them is lava lamps. I don't know. It's somehow maybe really even my drug culture from way back when. Um, but I currently have about 35. Now, now <laughs> granted, um, none of them are, like, out. They're all, like, in a like in the closet, because uh, my wife is like saying, no, no. <laughs> I'm thinking, but honey, I have one. There's one out on the, on the kitchen thing. But, uh, but 20 years, 20 years, it's just been amazing to see what has transpired in 20 years. You know, you guys have played a huge part in that, whether you realize it or not. I mean, early on, just uh, being able to be associated with pastors and leaders that actually enjoyed getting together, that that sets something in my heart to want to facilitate that. Um, and I think that's that was a, like a mark. It was like an imprint or a fingerprint of God on the rest of my life. And so I've spent the last 20 years really being very relational, um, primarily in, in ministers and ministry leaders and such. And I'll tell you a little bit more of that in a minute. I'll just tell you now. So uh, I, I started about five years ago. Well, let me go back even further than that. <laughs> this is going to be, hey, get to know Steve, eh? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> Did you guys ever see the Chicken Run movie where the one, one chicken goes, I saw my life pass before me. It was quite boring. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, 
Uh, I, I wouldn't say mine was born, but anyway. So yeah, uh, but, you know, prior to 20 years ago, um, I was working in ministry, but it was parachurch type stuff because I worked with Young Life and I worked with March for Jesus. So I was always a part of doing large gathering type things and getting leaders together and getting people to work together and got involved in the whole transformation movement with a, with a friend of mine, Rhonda Huey, who just recently got married. Those of you who know Rhonda, I know, right? 54, first, first time. And, uh, and then about six years ago, God said, shut it down. All the, like, even the international travel, all that kind of stuff that I was doing, even regional travel. And this is what he told me, and this is probably a repeat of what I told you before, and that was, he said, Steve, I love what you're exporting to the region, to the world, but go back home and make it your own personal testimony. You see, what was happening was I was gathering up a lot of information from a lot of different testimonies and all that from people across the world, and I would, um, and then I would just kind of regurgitate that, which wasn't bad because it was God, but it didn't have a personal testimony attached to it, and we know that the prophecy of Jesus is found in your personal testimony, and so it just it, it hit me, and so I came back home, not home in the sense that I had moved away, but just from the sense of traveling and stayed close to home. And it was at that time that we, we began to, uh, Tom and I and several others, began to wrestle with the idea of actually raising up uh, a, a relational group with nothing but the goal of building friendship amongst leaders, pastors, ministry directors across the region. Now, you know, that's not a very popular thing, especially for us high D, want to accomplish thing kind of ministry people. So the idea of asking people to check all their stuff at the door <laughs> when they come into a meeting, their ministry identities and all that didn't seem like a good idea. Because after all, if you're going to get all these people together and they're powerful people, why wouldn't we want to take the city, right? Well, here's what I'm learning, and, uh, and it's still a work in progress. And the idea of I think we have a better chance of taking the city as friends than we would ever be able to do strategically. You see what I'm saying? And that applies also even in the church. You know, the things that we really want to accomplish, God wants to put a, a, a it's almost a covenant community relational stamp on it. And so you cannot underestimate, even at the local church level, like here with New Covenant Worship, the importance of friendship. You know? Um, sometimes we can get so focused on the things that we want to accomplish in ministry that we lose touch of the friends that we have right beside us. And, uh, and it seems to be the season that I'm in right now. How's this going? Everything okay? You know, um, I'll, I'll probably, I've got a few things I want to share with the scripture, but I feel like the Lord's hijacking me. I mean, um, when I realized the 20-year mark, I was like going, oh, my gosh, something, something shifted in me. So now you're thinking, okay, Steve, 61. I know, a young 61, right? Looking good. You're like all going, oh, gosh, I thought you were in your 30s or something. But <laughs> no. <laughs> I went through, a, I went through a cr an identity crisis a few months ago. Um, how many of you have recently been through an identity crisis? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, yeah. I know, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what was going on, but it was like the Lord was like starting to hem me in. It was like, I don't know, he was trying to get me to work within the field that he wants me to be in, wheelhouse, whatever you want to call it. Actually, when I first interpreted it, I thought, am I going to die soon? Because <laughs> he's wanting me to be like really productive in what few hours I have left, you know. <laughs> but I don't think that was the case. Um, because what he was doing was he was really getting me into that place to where I could run 150% and not feel the drain or not feel the stress or feel the frustration or feel, uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, relationships, friendships, and all that stuff, it has its frustrations from time to time. But it, it's, uh, he was getting me to a place where it wouldn't be overwhelming. And so he, he literally, he took me from about 15 things that, I consider myself to be good at, and he, he condensed it down to five. Five things. 
five things. It's almost like you say, okay, here's your, here's your five things that you can operate in. That means anything that, that you have an option or an opportunity to do, you have to run it through these filters and determine whether your yes is my yes or no is my no. You know, sometimes one of the most anointed words in the kingdom of God is no, <laughs> right? Because there's can be so many opportunities that you can do. They can actually draw you outside of what God has graced you with. You, you know what I'm saying? And so here I am. I'm in an identity crisis. I'm talking to my wife, and she's like going, I thought you had an identity crisis all your whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she was right in some ways because I found myself, you know, you, you do when you're younger. There's this sense of discovery, and uh, um, which is really, really cool because as you're trying different things and all that, you stumble into grace. You stumble into uh, the, the anointing or purposes or the mantle that God has placed on you. That's, that's normal. So you want to hear my five things? Yeah. Okay. In order. This is in order of importance. Are you ready? That God just added the first one last week. And that is, I know, right? So I'll come back in a few months and go, okay, I've got 17 again. No. <laughs> I think this is it, five. The first is sonship. I'm a son. Above anything, I have a father. I have a heavenly father. Those of you know, I, have a, I had a, a father. You guys heard last time I was here. My father, I told you a story about him, but which, by the way, he passed, he's in glory, went on in January of this year, um, which was another emotionally celebratory, but also just an intense time. It's like a wake up to, hey, Steve, you're not getting any younger here, you know? <laughs> it's like, what? Okay, am I dying? No, I don't think I am. I was at my doctor recently. He seems to think I'm okay. So the dentist, well, that's another story. <laughs> okay, here's my five. Number one, sonship. You know, the realization that I am a son of God. You know, that I have a brother in Christ. That There's something about sonship, daughtership, whatever you want to call it, that really connects you with your true identity. It really is. Yeah. Anything outside of that is it's like you're, you're operating outside of the family system that God has given you. So... Okay, sonship. That was number one. Number two was husband. Okay, I'm a married man. We're going on 32 years. And that's, that's huge. It's just huge. There's so much that I learn about the kingdom of God and God by being a husband and being a good husband. You know, it's tapping into the nature and character of God and who he is to be able to honor and bless my wife Okay, you know, um, number three, father. You know, I'm a, I'm a father to my two biological kids, uh, my son Ryan and my, my daughter Kristen. And uh, what a privilege that has been. Although there have been times I go, man, did I mess that up? <laughs> that happens sometimes. But God gives grace. Um, father, what number am I on now? I'm a bass player, number four. I'm a bass player. I play bass, bass, like, like, oh, yeah, there he is right back there. I have a natural attraction to bass. I have a natural attraction to come in and want to take the bass from your bass player and say, here, let me take that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was doing great. What's his name? Chad. Chad. Is Chad in here? Dude, there you are. Bro, you and me, man. We've got the, we got the, we got that lower foundational. It's, it's, yes, yes, it's awesome. Good job, man, good job. Um, here's how that works out in the music world. I'm a utilitarian musician. I can play a lot of things. You can put me on keyboard. You can put me on guitar. You can put me on mandolin. Um, yes, I can even play the melodica, violin. You have to pay me a lot to play violin, and, uh, and, and earplugs would be required too. It's been a while. But I can do all those instruments, but my grace, my grace is in playing bass. You see how that works? I mean, it works in every, every area of your life, but I realize that I have said yes to a lot of things, even recently, that have taken me outside of the grace that I have as a musician, as a bass player. 
And so I'm having to do a come to Jesus for me and then also for the people that I work with, okay? Um, so yeah, base. And the fifth, which might be kind of surprising that it's kind of down the, down the priority chain here is I'm a relational minister, okay? Um, I realize that the grace that I have for whatever reason is to be able to gather people and help, the, help them cultivate great friendships. You know, uh, we're five years into this whole journey that we've been on as far as these different pastoral groups, which, by the way, you all know, you probably know, you, you guys are regular supporters of me, right? Okay, because you are, you are a part of, I'm, I'm standing here as fruit of what you guys have invested in. So everything that I've put my hands to is a, uh, it, it goes into the reward system of New Covenant Worship Center because in many ways, I'm like a representative of you when I'm out there. You guys have been so gracious to continue to support me. Now that's not to put pressure on you for you to continue, you know, I don't want, that makes sense? Yeah, like, <laughs> here's how I look at support. I love this, is that I never expect it. So every time something comes in the mail, I go, oh my gosh, this is, all. it's like, so, and you guys have been, oh my gosh, in me for, uh, for a lot of years. <laughs> so I thank you for that. So um, this whole leadership thing has been, it's, it's kind of expanded. I mean, we've got oh, probably 20, 25 people up north. Tom's a part of that. Um, we started one on the south side that probably has 25, 30 people regularly. We have one on the west side now that probably has, oh, I don't know, we have 15, 20 of us that are part of that core group. We're getting ready to launch one on the east side at the Hope Center with uh, Marvin Adams and that whole crew. And, uh, and a good friend of ours, Dave Shockey from Campus House in Purdue is doing one with the campus ministers up there. So it's, you know, something that started, uh, what, six years ago, Tom, when we sat down to try to wrestle it through is now probably, I, when I look down my list of regular contacts, is roughly 120 leaders and ministry leaders and pastors from across the region. And uh, I've seen some pretty remarkable relationships that have been cultivated through all of that. So good on you, good job, you guys. You know, it's, it's a part of your rewards. It's a part of your inheritance too, that you guys, whether you realize it or not, you are having an impact and effect on a regional level, on a state level. So that's pretty cool. Um, so thank you, thank you for doing that. So there's my five, sonship. I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a bass player. Pretty good one, wouldn't you say, Tom? Pretty good bass player? Yeah, I think so anyway. My son's a lot better. And then, uh, and then I'm a relational minister. So it, it's just, it helped, it helps. I think, um, it, it's not a bad thing for you to ask if you feel like you're a bit overwhelmed to ask the Lord to give you uh, understanding of what you have a grace for. Because when you operate in your grace, there's not a lot of burden with that. In fact, it's really, it's quite, yeah, yeah, it brings, it brings a lot of life. So anyway, good prayer for you just to, to ask the Lord about that. How are we doing so far? Good, good? Okay. Um, yeah, I, here's what I was going to teach on, but you know, it is a, it is a holiday, so I'm going to keep it pretty short and tell you some more stories if that's all right. But uh, I've been hanging out in Romans, which is fun, and uh, in particular, Romans 6, 7, and 8, and I've been, uh, I've been reading that through also what I read in Ephesians. You know, Ephesians is an amazing book of identity. You want to know your sonship, read Ephesians. And then read it again, and then read it again, and then read it again, and continue to read it because I don't know, but Paul distilled it down so well that you can't help but walk away from the book of Ephesians and go, oh, <laughs> wow, that's who I am. You've heard me say it before. You all have every spiritual blessing. It's already been given to you. You know, you're already in right relationship with Christ. You already live life in the spirit. You've already given, uh, he's given you the fullness of a revelation and understanding, it's already f within you. Now, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to continue to discover, you know? I like that, yeah, Eric, the unpack word. For me, every morning is Christmas morning. It's like you wake up, the mercies are new every morning. It's not only that, 
there, it's like I open a gift and find out another aspect of either how God loves me or how I love myself <laughs> because I love what God creates, right? Yeah, I mean, he doesn't mess up. He just doesn't. You, he's perfectly designed you. And so the, uh, to be able to acknowledge that every morning is such a gift. And so, wow, 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 what a, what a season we're living in. But I, I'm looking at it in Romans, and Romans is a bit, you know, Paul, wow. He's a master of the run-on sentences, by the way. But you look in chapter 6, and that's the, the classic chapter of, uh, you know, we're crucified in Christ. It's no longer us that lives, but he lives in us, you know, all of that. And then you look at chapter 8. Chapter eight's this incredible chapter about life in the Spirit. Chapter 7, though. Chapter 7 is a little confusing because it talks about, oh, God, who's going to save me from this, you know, this plight that I'm on, that I, I do this, but I want to do that, but why do I want to do that, but I end up doing this, and it goes on and on and on and on, right? I live most of my life thinking that's my plight in this Christian walk. I was always going to have this struggle between the, the flesh and the spirit or my mind and my heart or whatever. Uh, but it's interesting because as you get into this a little bit more, I just encourage you to read it outside of this, is that you realize, Paul uses some examples, but what you realize is Paul, all he's doing is he's saying, listen, if you attempt to try to apply the old covenant law to what Christ has already accomplished, then you're going to be double-minded. It's going to be this constant back and forth and like, uh, uh, and it's like, but what, what Jesus, what Paul says, which is, he says it so well, he says, whoa, who's going to save this wretched man? And he said, well, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. I mean, he just literally shuts the door on the idea of double-mindedness. It is not my plight in life anymore because we live by the Spirit. We're in one with the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit in this. There, there is, um, the only time there's a double-mindedness is when there's a, an issue of belief, probably. I mean, you know, when you struggle trying to believe something or whatever, I can, eh, we're going to wrestle that out. But can I, can I reassure you, God has already put the fullness of himself through Christ in you. It's there. You know, I love, the, I love all the songs of Come Holy Spirit. You know, I, I really do. Because what we're inviting, we're saying, God, reveal yourself for us in this corporate time of worship. But what we're not saying in all this is, the Spirit's out there somewhere. Would you come and be in my heart? No. Many times what happens is the Spirit begins to reveal himself as he comes out of us corporately. I mean, my gosh, we begin to recognize that, oh, my gosh, Jesus is here. Well, he was here all along. It's just that we're in a position where we're going, oh, my gosh, there he is. We have, we have the Spirit of God in us, right? It doesn't come and go. So our invitation for come Holy Spirit isn't as if he's separated. We're just asking him to give us eyes to see him in his fullness. And guess what? You have the opportunity to see the fullness of Christ in one another. Right? Which takes me right back around to what I was talking about with the relationships. Because it's through friendships that we actually begin to see different facets of Christ in one another. You know, there's one thing to, to pursue the fullness of Christ in corporate worship, which we do, and I love it. You know, never, ever, ever forsake the, uh, the gathering of the, of the body in worship. But there's another facet that's available to us just to see it in everybody day to day. Okay. Now, takes me down another road here. And that is recognizing Christ in those that haven't even accepted him. Okay, you want a you key to effective evangelism. It's going to always come from a place of seeing people already redeemed, even if they don't see themselves that way. Yeah. Now, do, do, don't get me wrong. I am in no way saying that everyone, all dogs go to heaven or anything like that. 
It's not that at all. But what I am saying is that your greatest tool of evangelism is actually going to go past the perception they have of themselves and go to the core of who they are and say, let me tell you who you really are. Yep, yep. Because when that happens, man, it's, you know, uh, those of you, you, you all know that I've, uh, I've been doing this bar ministry for, gosh, three and a half, four years now. And um, rarely, rarely do we ever talk about Jesus. But do we talk about life? Oh, my gosh. It's, it's amazing. It, there, I, I know there are times there's an urgency in getting people saved. But I also know, too, there are times that God says, take the slow train on this one. Build the relationship. Build the trust. Let them pursue. Let them ask. There are times that you're going to run across somebody that God just says, dude, they are so ready for the gospel, you need to just hit them broadside with it right now. And then there are other times that he's going to say, take your time on this one. This is one that I want you to invest your time, invest time to build the relationship, build trust. You know, we've seen, uh, we've seen a couple salvations in the, in the bar, and it wasn't because we went in trying to change them. You know, I don't know that God has called us to, us to be mercenary lovers. Now, when I say mercenary lovers, that means I'm going to love you to get you changed. You know, he's called us to love unconditionally. So, and that plays so well in the way that we relate to our families and, you know, those that uh, have either walked away from the Lord or just never knew the Lord or whatever. You know, we have a great opportunity there to actually display the love of God and never actually have to say a word, you know? Because they know, my bar family knows that I love them. And they know I'll do anything for them. In fact, I'm now in a cover band with my bar mates. Go figure. And I'm just rocking it out on Friday and Saturday nights in some of the most seedy places in town. But I'm doing it because I love them and I love the camaraderie and I love to be with them. And there, I, there'll be opportunities, and there has been, and there will be, to be able to share about Jesus to people. But I, I, I'm not, it's not like it's, I don't know if this, this may sound sacrilege, but it's not like it's the forefront of everything that I'm doing now. How can I get everybody saved? Now, uh, uh, you, you may be an evangelist, and that's an amazing gift. It really is. And you have a, those that have an evangelistic call have a grace to be able to go into the darkest places in three minutes and, and proclaim the gospel and see people come to the Lord. So that's, a, that's an amazing grace. I have that occasionally. <laughs> I do. I do. There are other times that uh, I'm going to, you know, it may take a couple of years of just building a relationship and building the trust. <laughs> it's kind of the old adage of, you know, you build a friendship into one person in the family, and guess what? You, you can influence the whole family eventually. <laughs> it's just amazing how we can do that. So, so here we are, and I'm going to wrap it up here in a minute. You're going, what? How long should I go? Should I go up to like to like noon? Is that when you guys normally cut things off? Or when's the big hook come out, drag me off? Yeah. <laughs> I'm figuring it's a holiday weekend. You're probably thinking, I hope this guy's short in his messages. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So let me summarize the teaching. A, you have the fullness of Christ in you. B, you've already, you, you've already, your sin nature has been dealt with. Anytime you struggle with sin, it's just because you're living below who you really are in Christ. It's, it's really that simple. It doesn't give you a license to just sin up a storm. No, no, not at all. Because God's going to go after that stuff. He really is. Because he doesn't want you to be any less than the fullness of how he created you. And all sin does is it distracts you from that. It really does. Um, so he's, he'll go after it with a vengeance. He really will. So, um, which I love that about him. I really do. He, I still struggle with things. And he, A, hasn't given up on me yet. And B, he still convicts my heart. And he's still, you know, it's not like I get too calloused about it if I, if I offend somebody or something like that. I, I really feel it in my heart. I feel it when he wants me to, to address those kind of things. So it's beautiful. So there you are. You have the fullness of the Spirit in you. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ, for you now live life in the Spirit. 
Um, you've been crucified in Christ. Your sinful nature has been taken care of. All of that is taken care of. You, you do not have to be double-minded. You really don't. In fact, when you are, just ask the Lord, hey, I know this isn't me. <laughs> and he has a way of really bringing clarity into those type of situations. So it's a beautiful thing, right? Right. I mean, it, it really is. Okay, now s- just a few testimonies here. I, uh, you know, in, in our world, in, in this I would call the more charismatic Pentecostal or whatever world, um, we, we have an eye for the supernatural. We really do. Um, in some of my evangelical friends, not so much. In fact, I had a conversation with an evangelical pastor the other day, and uh, it was really interesting. He asked me this. This is a great question. He said, Steve, he said, you've seen the move of the Spirit in the charismatic movement, and you've been connected to the, you know, the more conservative, more evangelical, more you know, knowledge-based pursuit of God. He said, what of those two nets more people that are kingdom-minded? Isn't that an interesting question? You know, you'll be surprised at my answer because I, I stepped back and I looked, you know, in my mind, I'm looking at from my Lutheran friends to my Catholic friends to my Presbyterian, Episcopalian, you name it, you know, Baptist and everything in between. And then, um, and I realized that the percentage is about the same. <laughs> You would think that life in the spirit would probably stir more up, but I, what I found is the spirit is alive in any denomination. You're going to find core people in any denomination, even in our own denomination, that have a tendency to be more eh, kind of back in the background and others that are going to be full on. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. So there is a really a move of the spirit, I think, that is encompassing the full body of Christ. And so I, I'm learning that I have to be careful that I don't just, just uh, what is it, um, pigeonhole a person because of the denomination that they're affiliated with. Yeah? Yeah. Because, hey, spirit spirit, we, we can commune and connect and all that stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyway, I, now let me tell you some crazy charismatic stuff. Well, I don't just got supernatural. We'll just call it supernatural stuff. <laughs> so I was out with a friend the other day, and um, we we had met up with a uh, a pastor from Beirut, Be- Beirut that has uh, I think he has seven or eight church plants in Beirut, and then he has another twenty eight down in the like around where all the Syrians are coming in and all that down wherever that, I don't know my geography or anything like that, but we were talking about life in the spirit, and he was talking about he's always been kind of full on kind of charismatic, you know, sees God everywhere and feels and, you know, all the tinglys and all that good stuff. But he said when uh, he and his wife got married, she didn't, she didn't have any of that, didn't feel any of it at all. <laughs> and then he was saying a few years ago she had, a, she had an encounter with the Spirit that just changed the trajectory of her life. She was always an intercessor, but being empowered by the Spirit now, her intercession went to a whole different level. He says it's a bit of a challenge for me these days because when she goes into her prayer room to pray, she'll be in there and she'll be praying and worshiping and all that. Uh, what she's actually doing, though, is she's uh, relocating to different places in the world. Okay? The ability to be able to do that is just mind-boggling to me. And he says, that's not a bad thing. He said, back that my son and I have actually recorded her when she's been worshiping and it's always in a... It sounds like it's in a foreign tongue or whatever the case. Well, it is. It's actually the language of the country that she's in. Now, this is the funny thing is that he said when she comes back from those trips, <laughs> she never left the farm, but when she comes back from those <laughs> when she comes back from those trips, he says whatever country she's been in, it almost takes her two or three days to get her English back. So she understands English when uh, it's being spoken to her, but she can only respond back in the particular native tongue of the country she was in in intercession. <laughs> so he's telling me, he says, it's amazing, but it definitely is, a, it, it gets in the way of us trying to communicate for a few days anyway. <laughs> but what it, those kind of stories make me think, let's get outside the box. Yeah. You know, the possibility of, uh, you know, you, you've heard, I think you guys have heard me say this before, you, you all are not bound by time. You have the ability to be in uh, places. I mean, you can literally go there. 
I've known of some people that have translated. Um, my gosh, what was that? Did I tell you the story about the guy in uh, Singapore? <laughs> he goes to a conference. He meets some business guy. Uh, uh, I don't know if it was a Chinese guy or whatever. And uh, they have a nice conversation, and he kind of witnesses to him or whatever. Um, hands him a, a business card and then comes back uh, to New York City, um, realizing that actually that was a dream. He had never gone to Singapore before. <laughs> he had woke up and had a dream. They had a visitation of a guy in Singapore that was a business guy, and he gives him this business card. And uh, he told him, hey, if you're ever in New York City, look me up. So two weeks later, guess what? He gets a call from this guy. And the guy goes, hey, can we get together? And he goes, well, hold on. This is, this. He was in a dream, right? So he goes, okay, yeah, let's get together. He gets together, and guess what? The guy produces the business card that he got in the dream, you know, that he gave to this guy in the dream. So let, let me just say, you can go places. You're, you're, not, you're not limited to just this realm that you're in. God may give you assignments, and you may have the opportunity to go. Is this fun? Yes. I, I think it's just it's the coolest thing, yeah. <laughs> so, so many things can happen. Let, now, let me tell you a slow burn uh, thing, and then we'll wrap it up with this. Um, Many of you know that you've probably heard some of the prophetic words that revivals, the next great revival was, is going to start on campuses, right? Have you guys heard any of that? Some of that's been going around anyway. And I, you know, when I hear a prophetic word, I, I want to figure out how I can make that come to pass. Um, and I got an invitation. Uh, it was a cold call. I, I probably told you this story before. It was a cold call from a guy from InterVarsity. Now, InterVarsity, very conservative, evangelical organization. They do these conferences, Greek conferences every year here in Indianapolis. He had just been to the House of Prayer in Kansas City. First mistake. Because <laughs> he was like, he came from that and thought, well, I wonder if we could do something like that at their Greek conference, at the InterVarsity conference. And so he comes home, he does a, uh, he does a Google search on prayer in Indianapolis, and somehow or another my name popped up with my com contact information which I can't find when I go Google. It's just not there. Uh, but he found it and calls me, cold call, and says, hey, I see you've been a part of a house of prayer in Indianapolis. Would you consider helping us uh, do a prayer room on site at the conference? And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I, I have, you, you guys know I have, a, I have a, an army of young adults that I've mentored through the years, so I was able to pull a number of us together and go help. Well, when we showed up, they, they had us on lockdown. I mean, we could not talk to the staff. We could not talk to the students. Uh, we were fortunate to even be able to talk to the hotel staff, you know. Um, that, just kidding. That was, that was supposed to be funny. <laughs> but they kept us in the prayer room. And the only time we could get out of the prayer room, A, we had to go to the bathroom, thank God, or B, we were going into a breakout room to pray through the room before people got in there, Okay. And I don't blame them because you don't know who you're going to get. They didn't know me. They didn't know the people I brought. And so we were literally on lockdown. So second year, basically the same. I went through interrogation after interrogation with uh, InterVarsity uh, staff and directors, you know. And uh, I, I guess I answered all the questions because they kept inviting us back. Well, by the third year, uh, the, the, the director, the guy, that the, the prayer director called me and said, would you guys consider uh, praying for our staff? And, uh, and so I said, sure. Uh, how do you want us to do that? He said, well, just uh, like the night before the conference, we want you to come in and, and we'll, we'll set up appointments and people come in and you can just pray over us. I said, okay, that's cool. So we did. And uh, it was, that was the turning point. Okay, this is three years in. This was the turning point because we began to pray without any of the charismatic trappings at all, but we began to pray very specifically. It was like God was giving us their mail, and uh, we were speaking words of encouragement that it was bringing confirmation to what they were already hearing from the Lord, and we get those things occasionally from, how'd you know that? You know, <laughs> you get that <laughs> sometimes in prayer. How'd you know that? Well, God did, and so that happened the third year, it had such an impact on the InterVarsity staff that they started asking for it. They were going, well, are we going to do that next year? Are we going to do that next year? So by the fifth year, 
Um, I remember we we had I was praying for the um, um, the conference director, and um, we prayed for him. Got some pretty powerful things for him, and I think it was the first time he'd ever experienced that kind of prayer, the prophetic prayer, or whatever. And um, and then he goes off, and uh, the next day we're in the prayer room, and this lady walks in, and it's the wife of the conference director, and she goes, it was awesome, she goes, would you pray for me? I said, sure, so I grabbed a couple other people, and I said, well, do you have anything you want us to pray for? And she goes, no, I don't think you understand. Whatever you did to my husband yesterday, I want you to do it to me now. <laughs> <laughs> so by our fifth year into this, we were now walking in favor. They were at the place now where they wanted us in all the main sessions while they were going on. And so by the seventh year, then they had opened the whole thing up to the student base to the point that we were, uh, we were doing uh, prophetic presbyteries where we would have certain times of the day that um, students could sign up and come in and get prayer. I had prayer teams going and all that. Um, so two years ago, was a, that was another shift because <laughs> one of the girls, they started the whole conference. Keep in mind, there's 800 to 1,000 students all in the Greek systems all over the country. They all come into Indianapolis. And she gets up and she tells her testimony of how she encountered Jesus in the prayer room in a supernatural way. That was, they started the conference out that way. And so I'm standing back there and I'm listening to this and I'm going, I am so understaffed. <laughs> <laughs> and they moved the prayer room from the back, way back corner somewhere, you know, way off the beaten path to where it was literally right across from the main uh, session. So as students were coming out, there was the prayer room. So it literally became front and center. Every session, uh, every leader would always mention, hey, if you need prayer, we have people in the back room. In all the breakout sessions, we had people in the main sessions along the side walls praying for people and in the prayer room. I would have lines of people that year. I would have lines of people that it would be two hours before they could even get in the prayer room, and they'd stand there the whole time. We would see salvation after salvation. You know, last year we had 32 salvations just in the prayer room. I had 17 teams of people, too. That's so 17 times, what, 34 people. And, and we were, you know, with people coming in for prayer. And I still had probably 100 kids in line to get in for prayer. Okay. So you're saying how it, I, how it happened, I have no idea. All I know is that that led to last week I had an invitation to bring a prayer team up to Purdue for the first time. We'd already been going down to IU and meeting with some of the core people from uh, InterVarsity down there, Greek InterVarsity. But this time, it was a rally of about 500 kids. It was the first day of school. Would have been a week ago Monday. Yeah, I think yeah, a week ago Monday. And, uh, and they were having a stake in the ground worship time, declaring the love of God and Jesus over the campus. So you had all these Christians, and it was a part of all the campus ministry leaders that were working together. And we got invited to bring a prayer team in and pray for people. And, of course, I had them on lockdown. It was like, all right, here's the policy. No touchy, no tongues. TT, we're not doing those today. So, but what we are doing, <laughs> what we are doing is you're going to pray prayers of encouragement, edifying, building up, joy, hope, whatever. And, um, and so um, everyone goes, okay, okay, you know, us, we're, we're all, we're touchy-feely, you know, man. We're like, can I put, because usually what we do, we always ask, you know, can we, can we put your hand on your shoulder or whatever. Um, but in this case, it was our first time on the campus. I didn't want to, I've learned with university that you take your time, you honor the culture, you honor them and where the Lord has them at the time, that eventually what happens is you end up getting invited in to change the culture, which is exactly what we did in university. We changed the way that they, they view prayer. I mean, literally wholesale to an international ministry and it happened right here now take you to purdue and then this is it um so we're praying you know they're they're having this worship time they made you know there's prayer tents on either side and whatever so students are coming over getting prayer i'm just i'm i'm policing right i'm trying to make sure that we got enough people on this tent and this tent based on how many people are there and making sure no one's touchy Tongues, you know, not really. I didn't have to worry about that. But then I look over there, and there's Dave Noel. You guys know Dave Noel. Yeah, oh, my gosh. 
he's got like what looks like about five or six college guys and he and three other guys are all praying around and they're in this huge group hug i mean already right out the chute they were just all like that you know and i thought oh this is great okay um and it was awesome i mean it was it was just it was exactly what god wanted in the moment so this young man comes up and he uh he comes up to i think dave and says, um, I, I hardly get any sleep because I have, I have these uh, demonic uh, um, visitations at night. And he says, they'll come. And he says, I've gotten to the point where I recognize them. I've started to name them because I see them all the time. He says, it's been years since I've been able to get any sleep at night, two hours maybe at the max, and then I get woke up. So uh, Dave and the team realized that they were in the middle of what was going to become a deliverance. Okay. Now, keep in mind, I've got some of my team, and I've got some of the InterVarsity and some of the campus ministry teams. They're all together there with this young man. And guess what happens? He goes through a deliverance process, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't crazy. It wasn't, it was just how, how Dave and the team handled it was just amazing. And, uh, and the young man, uh, Dave got his contact information, and, and you know they kind of traded off information. And so, the young man, uh, he, they kind of give him some instructions. What happens if he has another visitation from Fred or whatever his name was? <laughs> and uh, and uh, he gets a text from this young man the next day, and he said, "Hey, I just want to let you know what happened. I was two hours in the sleep, and sure enough, I had another visitation. And I told you what I told him what you told me to tell him, and that was in Jesus' name, leave." And he said he left, and he said, I went back to sleep. Eight hours later, I woke up. First time. Now, that word got back to the, the staff of InterVarsity and the campus ministries. And, uh, and so I asked, because uh, Rob, who's the director of Campus House, I asked uh, our friend Dave, I said, how did Rob handle all this? And Rob made this statement. He just said, he said, I love your people from Indy. He says, they, they pray powerful prayers that, is, that has levity and normality. You see, he, he got hit with the supernatural power of God, but it wasn't offensive. And the thing is, the testimony speaks for itself. So what that did was, I believe, that just opened the campus for a whole lot more opportunities to go in and really be able to pray for people. So you all have been a part of that, too. I mean, in, in, in supporting me, that, uh, you know, it's, it's helped. Oh, my gosh. Um, we're in, we're in uh, this is a time unlike I have ever seen in my life, y'all. Do you hear that, y'all? That's like amen in uh, Farmer's Pike terms anyway it's yeah. <laughs> so unlike anything I've ever seen in my life the times that we're living in right now the openness to the supernatural and it's very natural and it's for everybody it is for everybody and so hopefully this has been an encouragement but um, I just want you guys to know that you are loved you are honored. I deeply thank you for the years of investment that you've made into my life and subsequently the, 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 uh, just the blessing it's been into so many other people's lives as well. I'm touched by that. I'm also touched that I can be here on my 20th anniversary of stepping into ministry this weekend. This is when it happened 20 years ago. To be here just made perfect sense and that wasn't I didn't plan that it was just happened to be I happened to be playing bass for a jazz band that was going to put me in the area so I love you guys and I love what you're just the impact that you have not only as a church with one another but also the impact that you have in your communities in the region that you've been called to you are a light you know that every church is a light they are you are a unique light and uh, God is going to continue to use you in amazing, powerful ways. In fact, get ready, because I think you're just scratching the surface. You're going to see some pretty amazing things in the days and weeks and months to come. He's going to interrupt and break in in ways that you weren't expecting.
but it's going to be so God you'll never question it. And I think it's gonna, there's going to be an empowerment of this body and its influence in the spiritual realm in the region that you've been called to. You already have it. You really do. But I think there's a new agreement that's coming with the heart of the Father that's going to be, it's going to create ripples across the region every time you speak. Okay, good, 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 good. All right, let me pray for you. And, uh, and then you guys will, we have, did you say we'll have prayer teams up here afterwards? So, yeah, if you want prayer, it'd be awesome. So, all right, here we go. Thank you. Father, we thank you for, oh, we thank you for life, love, friendship, uh, longevity, <laughs> uh, steadfastness. Father, we thank you for just you being you, Jesus, for you being you, Holy Spirit, for you being you. Father, I thank you that we are in Christ at the right hand of the Father as much as Christ is in us in this reality and realm that we live in right now. And I thank you for the body of Christ that's represented here in the amazing call New Covenant Worship Center. I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Just reach your hand towards Steve. I'm going to pray for him as well. And Father, I thank you for Steve, free man. I thank you for this man, and I thank you for the relationship. Father, I thank you for how Purdue is going to be different, IU is going to be different. The region is different because of his relational connecting ability that you've given him, Father. This relational minister that you connected us to 20 years ago. Father, I thank you for him, and I thank you, God, for the impact. I thank you for InterVarsity. I thank you, God, for the fruit of that through the power of your spirit, God, that you would continue to give Steve wisdom in his building. And I just, I just hear the Lord say to you, Steve, he's, he loves your patience. And your patience, it, it revolves around your core principle of relationship and honoring the relationships. So, Father, we bless Steve, and I just ask, God, that you would bring increase to those relationships, bring the power of the Spirit, and, Lord, let him influence many, many others for the furthering of the kingdom of God in this region and abroad. And, Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you, brother. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. Thank you, Steve.